turn to Acts chapter 17. Thought I, the thought I have this morning is from verses 5 and 6. Brother Kim Meadows had preached a message from this passage of Scripture several years back, and it, it stayed with me. And there's one line in here that I, I really love that, that is the thought for the message this morning. Then verse 5, it says, but let me give you, before I read those two verses, let me give you just a little bit of background here. The men of God had, had made it to Thessalonica and had taken the gospel there. And it tells us in the first few verses that, that many of the Jews believed the message of Christ and that several of the Greeks who were God-fearing also believed. But then in verse 5 it tells us, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people, that being Paul and Silas in this instance, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, and here's the line that I really like, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither too, or have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down, the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, who had, had heard the gospel, who had been with Jesus, and now they are taking that gospel throughout the known world. And for these people here, these Jewish people who were jealous, it says, who were envious and didn't want to believe, we find that to them, their whole worlds were turning upside down. That's an impact. That is an impact that these men of God were making on that society at that time. To hear that line, turn the world upside down. Just hold on to that for a few minutes there. Let's go to prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, once again, Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have experienced here this morning. We thank you, Father, for the beautiful songs that you have uh, led Richard to choose this morning. And Father, that last song was just perfect for, for this morning. We seem so inadequate, Lord, that, that you would have that song sung and have us to participate in singing it as a praise to you just before the message. We thank you for that. God, I ask now that you go with us as we speak. Remove us out of the equation, Father, as, as to our own desires and thoughts and, and allow the Holy Spirit to function through us and through the congregation here this morning and how the message is both delivered and received. God, we ask that you touch each of our hearts this morning and help us to be more mindful of the mission that you have set before us that maybe, Father, in the coming year we can help to turn the world upside down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've come to the end of 2019, right? Everywhere we look now, Christmas is behind us now all of a sudden and, and uh, we, we see people wanting to say Happy New Year now instead of Merry Christmas. Everybody's Happy New Year in it. And, and we're, we're coming up with plans and, and things. What are we going to do on New Year's Eve? Or what are we going to do here? Or, or what's the new year going to hold for us? And in our society in the last few decades, we have uh, probably longer than that. I've been here a few decades, so I can speak for those. But um, we have this thing that we have developed in our society now called New Year's resolutions, right? Anybody in here have a New Year's resolution already? Nobody. Nobody's planning on losing any weight. 
Oh, we got some now. Okay, finally, we got some folks waking up. We, 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 tend, we don't like to call it New Year's resolution because they're so easy to break. They're so easy to throw away. My wife goes to Planet Fitness during the winter months when she can't get out on the, the soccer field track and walk and come next week, that place will be packed. You won't be able to even find a machine to get on. There will be people spending money right and left. Oh, I got my membership. We're going to make a difference in 2020. It's going to change. It's going to change. In February, there's plenty of machines. Plenty of them. So just wait out the crowd a couple, three weeks, and, and by February you'll have plenty of places to, plenty of treadmills to walk on, plenty of ellipticals to, to whatever you do on them, and, and all these things. Okay? So we, we tend to do that. We tend to look ahead to the coming year and say, well, here's what I'd like to see happening this year. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? As a matter of fact, it's a good idea, especially for a church, to have a vision for the coming year, to say, you know, here's, here's what we would like to see happen in our congregation, in our church, in the coming year. Accompanying that, though, many times, we reflect back on the previous year, don't we? We reflect back, at least I do, and, and we look back and we say, well, you know, here's some of the the successes of 2019. Here's some of my failures of 2019. God has really blessed. And then sometimes we have to reflect back and say, God really brought us through something. A trial. He was there when I went through this trial. Or, or God forbid, a tragedy. Tragedies are all around us. And so we reflect back on the, on the year that is ending as we look ahead to the year that's beginning. It's just something that we do, or at least I do. And uh, looking back on 2019, a word came to my mind. It's a word that's in our society, and I used to see it a lot in, in the court system when I worked there. It, and the word is dysfunctional. Dysfunctional familiar with that term, I'm sure. We, we hear dysfunctional families a lot anymore. We hear dysfunctional this or dysfunctional that. I looked the definition of, of dysfunctional up. And it says it's abnormal or impaired functioning on the part of an individual person between people in any sort of relationship and amongst, I like that, amongst, that's a good word, members of a family it often involves conflict, misbehavior, and even neglect or abuse. Now, a, a higher power than me spoke to me this morning and suggested that I use the Buckeyes as an example of dysfunction this morning. No, it wasn't that high. It was, it was down a level from there. Okay? It, was, it, was a, it was a higher power than me, though, here in this congregation. I, I hesitate to do that, though, because I don't know which one of you all is the Buckeye fans that, that he wanted to target, but I can't really say anything because after the Vikings' performance last Monday night, I really can't say anything to anybody. Okay, so it's a dysfunction in its, at its best. But as I look back on 2019, and, and I look at that definition, sometimes I consider myself as a dysfunctional disciple. The dysfunctional disciple. I look at that definition and I see impaired functioning. I see problems in relationships. I see conflict, misbehavior, and even neglect and abuse. 
doesn't say neglect or abuse of what, but I look back over my past year and there are some things that stand out to me that, that tempt me to call myself a dysfunctional disciple. And I don't know if I'm alone in that this morning or not. But just take a second and reflect back over your 2019. Are you happy with the way you did everything in 2019? Do you, do you recall any conflict? Do you recall any, any misbehavior on your part? I think we, most of us will see that. And so I was tempted as I started thinking about this new year that, that I wanted to be less dysfunctional coming in this year. And as it would have it, when I started thinking that direction, then the thought came to my mind, and it, it, I don't know if any of you all experienced this or not, but occasionally it comes to my mind that, you know, only if I could have only walked with Jesus, if I could have just been there and physically walked with Jesus, then maybe I would be different. I would, I would definitely be different. I would, I, you know, I would have got to meet him face to face and I, I, I would be able to, to handle things differently. I could have watched exactly how he did things instead of just reading about it. In the Christmas play you all just had, the, the main character of the play, which was the bride, sorry, Brother Carr, I know that... I know that you thought you were the main character, but... It was actually the bride. She made the comment in the scene when they were before the judgment seat of Christ that, uh, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do more? As she saw the works of her brothers and sisters being, being judged, being called out. And then she said multiple times, if I could only go back, right? If I could only go back. Well, unlike the Christmas drama, 2019 wasn't a dream, and we can't go back. We must go forward. And so I thought, yeah, if I could have, and, and that, that thought comes to me, if I would have just been able to go with Jesus, if I could have just, if, if somehow I could have experienced it firsthand, then I would be better. I would be better. Recently, I started studying, well, I finished my study of the Gospel of Mark, and, and I started my study of the Gospel of John. And as that thought began to roll through my head, if I could have only walked with Jesus, the studying of those Gospels pointed some things out to me that is, they're very encouraging to me, and they lead me to believe that that might not have been the case. That might not have been the case. If I could have only walked with Jesus. So I thought to myself, if I could have only walked with Jesus, maybe I wouldn't be, feel so powerless and, so, and have such lack of confidence. Believe it or not, yes, that even people who stand up here behind the pulpit suffer from lack of confidence. This morning at 5.30, I was awake laying in bed thinking about speaking here this morning. I was thinking about this message. And I was even kind of in my mind asking myself, God, why do you want me to do this message? And at 6 o'clock when that clock in our living room started chiming six o'clock then I was laying there and I was thinking you've only got five more hours you've only got five more hours are you sure that this is the message are you sure 
So, yes, there's a lack of confidence even in those who stand up here and those who sing up here. And, and, and I would say at some point in all of our lives as Christians, we suffer from a lack of confidence. And I thought, well, maybe if we'd just walked with Jesus, we wouldn't have to suffer from a lack of confidence. And yet, in Mark chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, and even in Matthew chapter 17, 14 and 16, we find that after Jesus had been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John, the rest of the disciples had been down in the crowd. They'd been down at the bottom of the mountain in the crowd, and during this time, a father had brought his tortured and ill son to these disciples to be healed. And they couldn't heal him. They couldn't cast the demons out of this boy. They just couldn't get it done. And in Mark, Matthew chapter 10, earlier than this, Jesus had told them when he sent them out, you will have the power to cast out demons. You will have the power to heal the sick. You will have all these powers. And yet, there they were, unable to do it. And when Jesus comes on the scene, they're ridiculing his disciples. He's like, what's going on here? And they're, they're saying, well, we brought, I brought my son to your disciples to be healed, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. You know what Jesus' response was? In Mark 19, or Mark 9, 19, he says, How unbelieving, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me, speaking of the child. And Jesus heals him. Even our Savior showed just a touch of frustration there with what was happening. This unbelieving generation. So, you know, as an encouragement to me, maybe that's not the case. They were walking right with Jesus. He looked them point blank in the face and said, you'll have the power to cast out demons. You'll have the power to heal the sick. And yet they couldn't. They couldn't. There was a little dysfunction there, wasn't there? A little bit of dysfunction, even there. Even in the very presence of our Lord. I have the tendency to think that maybe, maybe if I had walked with Jesus, maybe if I'd have got a chance to meet Him face to face, then my faith wouldn't be so weak sometimes. That I wouldn't doubt. I wouldn't be laying in bed at 5.30 in the morning questioning, doubting whether I should even be here doing this. Anybody else in here deal with doubt in your Christian life? You ever feel like your faith just, I mean, you see some folks, I see folks that are going through illnesses and sicknesses and, and I mean, they look so strong. I know they probably struggle greatly, but they look so strong and I'm like, wow, to have that kind of faith. To have that kind of faith. Maybe if I'd have got a chance to walk with Jesus, that's the kind of faith I'd have. And yet three times, three times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus uses the term, O ye of little faith, three times. One time he uses that term in Matthew 6 and 30. He says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's telling me, he just told them, take no thought of what you're going to wear and this and that. God says, I've got this. And yet there's that worry and that lack of faith on their part right there in Jesus' presence. And he tells them, oh, ye of little faith. 
Matthew 8 and 26, he says, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Matthew records that he says at the time that he calms this storm, you remember maybe he was asleep in the back of the ship, and a great storm arose on the disciples as they crossed the Sea of Galilee. And, and the boat even started to fill with water, and they feared, and they woke Jesus up. And Jesus' comment is, Oh, ye of little faith. I'm sure that I would have been right there amongst them. Oh, ye of little faith, he says. And then he just calms the storm, calms the seas. Mark's gospel even records, he says, How is it that you have no faith? No faith. And yet there they are, right there in the presence of Jesus. That's a little encouraging to me. I hope it is to you. It's a little encouraging to me to know that even though they were right there in the presence of Jesus, they suffered from weak faith. They suffered. I'm not alone in this thing. In Matthew 16 and 8, Jesus makes the comment about them watching out and beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees' doctrine. And he calls it the, the, the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, when he says that, they immediately start thinking bread. And they get worried. And they say, oh, did we not bring enough bread? We didn't bring enough bread. We didn't get any bread. It's like West Virginians when they call for more than six inches of snow. Got to get the milk and bread, right? Got to get it. My mom and I have a joke that's been going on for 30-some years where every time it starts to sputter snow, she calls and says, it's coming. It's coming. It stems from way back in the 70s when, when I think it was Governor Rockefeller called for this big blizzard. How many of you all remember that? And everybody, I mean, people were fighting over bread and milk, and, and it never came as he said it would. And, but my mom was going to the window every few minutes and looking out. And she had us kids, and we're, us kids are like a blizzard. No school, lots of sleigh riding. And she's looking out the window. It's coming. It's coming. So that's our joke now. It's coming. But the disciples here had this similar attitude. We, got, we didn't bring enough bread. We didn't bring, Jesus wasn't even talking about bread. He just used that as an example. But then he says to them, again, that they are of little faith. They are of little, oh, ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? And he reminds them, do you not remember when I fed 5,000? with five loaves and how many baskets you took up afterward? Do you not remember when we fed 4,000 with seven loaves and how many baskets we took up afterward? Again, right there in his presence and doubting and being weak in their faith. Just as I am many times here in this life. I tend to tell myself, maybe, just maybe, if I had been able to be there, if I had been able to see Jesus face to face, maybe I wouldn't be so critical of others. Maybe I wouldn't be so critical of others. Is Darth in here this morning? Darth, there he is back there, Darth. I believe it was him that said in the play that told the wedding planner, stay in your lane, dude. Was that you, Darth? No, it wasn't. It was one of the other kids. All right. Well, it was one of them kids. At least I remembered what they said. Stay in your lane, dude. That's what they told the wedding planner, right? 
Do you ever have trouble staying in your lane as a Christian? Do you? Do you ever have trouble staying in your lane? Do you ever have trouble paying attention to what God has called you to do and less attention to what everybody else should be doing? And I think sometimes, oh, if I'd have just got a chance to be with Jesus, I wouldn't be that way. I wouldn't be that way. I'd be much different if I just saw him face to face. And yet, that's not the case. In Mark chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus, or John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Jesus said, don't stop him because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Here's John, the beloved disciple, the one who laid his head on Jesus' breast, the Bible says. John doesn't in his own gospel even refer to his own name. He just says the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here is John, that very disciple getting his eyes out of his own lane and sounding kind of proud of his actions. Jesus, we saw somebody. I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly how it was, but it might have went this way. Jesus, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. We told them to stop because they weren't in our group. They weren't part of our group. They were, I don't know who he was. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. If he's casting out demons in my name and saying that I am great enough to cast out demons, then he'll have a hard time in a few days saying something bad about us, right? But John was all about that. He, he just got his eyes off of what he was doing onto someone else. And I, I venture to say I'm not the only person in this church this morning that does that. I would say that no matter what church we went to this morning, I still wouldn't be alone. That there would be others who tend to do that. Tend to do that. The disciples did that, even in the presence of Jesus. The one that really makes me shake my head is in John chapter 21, verses 20 through 22, when Peter has denied Jesus three times. He denied Jesus three times. And Jesus approaches him. He, he brings the, the, the fish and he has the fire on the beach there and, and he calls the disciples in and, and after they eat he gets with Peter and he has Peter tell him that he loves him three times. And he forgives Peter of those. Wow. How would you feel in that spot right there? How would you feel? I mean, Peter was ashamed of himself and now all of a sudden the Savior calls him in and says, Hey, look, I forgive you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I forgive you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He forgives Peter. What joy would... I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven multiple times and I know the joy that floods my heart when the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, It's okay between us now. The sin is gone. It's okay between us now. I know the joy that floods my life. And, and wouldn't you expect Peter to say, Praise God! Hallelujah! I'm forgiven! I am so sorry for what I've done. I'm forgiven. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Wouldn't we expect that to be the reaction of Peter? 
But Peter's reaction is, <laughs> he looks at John and points him out and says, Lord, what about him? Jesus gives Peter his mission. He says, you're going to have a tough go of it. You're going to have a tough go of it. And Peter's taking it in, and then all of a sudden he says, well, what about him? Wouldn't it have been great if John had recorded that Jesus said, stay in your lane, dude. That would have been great. But what Jesus said is, if I want him to stay here till I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. So when I get to thinking that, it's... it's it could be different if I was in Jesus' presence physically. Then I see these disciples time and time again in the same issues that I fail in, in the same things that stand out to me, and that I hear from other Christians that I counsel with. The same issues that they have dealt with in 2019 is the same thing that I've dealt with. And it's the same thing the disciples did. I've got one more for you. What if we were to say, if only we had walked with Jesus, if only we had walked with Jesus, maybe we wouldn't argue and bicker among ourselves so much. You ever had an argument with another Christian? If you're married and you're Christians, you have. There should be some heads going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Might even should be an amen. But... Yeah, you know, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to do that. So did the disciples. They did the same thing. In Luke 9, 46, and also recorded in two of the other Gospels, they get to arguing among themselves. And you know what they're arguing over? It's on the board there. Reasoning among themselves, which one of them should be the greatest? What an argument to have right there with Jesus. I think I'll be better than you. Well, I think I'm going to be the one who leads everything. They're just right there in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus corrects them. He shares with them that it's whoever's the least of these that will be the greatest. And it's the servant's attitude that you need to have. And he sets them straight. They're arguing right there among themselves. He sets them straight. He gets it all squared away. Right there in chapter 9 of... Luke's gospel. And, he, and it's all straightened out all the way over until Luke chapter 22. Same gospel, Luke chapter 22. They're arguing amongst themselves. Guess what they're arguing amongst? You don't have to guess. It's on the screen, right? They're arguing again over who's going to be the greatest. That's just got me shaking my head. What a silly argument. It's not near as important as our arguments about what people should wear and what color the carpet should be in churches and how you stripe the parking lots, which direction. These are all things I've actually heard people argue about. Here's a good one. People get miffed because somebody's sitting up front during the play and they never usually sit up front. They took my seat up front for the play. They never usually sit up there. Anybody ever heard that argument? Don't raise your hand. Our arguments are so much more important than the disciples' arguments over who was the greatest, right? Not to even mention what goes on with other denominations. <laughs> I just thought of something I'll share with you. There's, speaking of them arguments being important, 
I remember a story told me years ago about a, a little church that wanted to improve their foyer area of their church, their, their entranceway. And uh, the deacons got together and they had this one deacon and never wanted to agree to anything. And, and so uh, the, the rest of the deacons suggested that they get a chandelier for the entryway to the church. And that one old deacon stood up and said, I'm against it. I'm against it. Three reasons. I'm against it because it costs money. I'm against it because none of us in this room can spell that word. And I'm against it because if we're going to get anything for out front, we need to get some lights. <laughs> we have important arguments, folks. We really do. And when we get to thinking that if we could have only been with Jesus, or maybe if things were different, then, then we wouldn't do this. The disciples did this. The disciples did this. I mentioned earlier, you know, not to mention how we treat our, our brothers sometimes in other denominations or other churches. I mean, sometimes we treat them like they're the enemy, like they're the ones trying to destroy everything. And it's, it's Satan outside of all of our doors that's trying to destroy everything. They might be a little misguided in some ways, some of them, but if they're like the guy casting out demons in Jesus' name, you know, hey, they're still doing some work. I'm not bringing up any of these things this morning to detract from those disciples back then. Our brothers, our early brothers, our original brothers, our original disciples in Christ, thank God for them. And these were the very people that were turning the world upside down, are they not? They're the very people who were doing that. They didn't stay that way. They always fought the same issues that we fight. You may feel like that, and I've dealt with these same issues in my life for years. Just keep, keep reading, keep studying, keep praying, keep turning yourself over to the Lord and saying, use me. He'll change it. He'll change it. I look back on 2019 and I look at my problems and I look at the, 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 the things that make me want to say I'm a dysfunctional disciple. But then if I look back to 2018 and 2017, I see changes that God is making in my life. And I guarantee you, you can see the same thing. You can see ways that He has moved you from where you once were to where you are now. It's a work in progress. We live in a very impatient world and we want everything now. That song, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. Right? We're we tend to be that way. But as we look back on 19 and evaluate where we're at with God and look forward to 20, it wasn't when they were walking with Jesus that these men were setting the world upside down or turning the world upside down. It was after Jesus ascended back into the heavens and He gave us the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that works in our lives today, the same one. We're in the same state of being that those men were when they were turning the world upside down. Do not be discouraged with what you left undone in 2019. Look to 2020 
and what service can be done. Because I guarantee you, God is looking for willing vessels. And I'm looking at a congregation here today that I hope is plumb full of willing vessels. Because if you are, He's going to use you. It may not be the, the world that you're going to turn upside down. Maybe somebody in your circle of friends. It may be somebody in your circle of acquaintances. And it may be somebody that you have never met yet. But if you are a willing vessel, God is willing to use you to turn some part of this world upside down. I'm going to ask Brother Richard to come and bring us a song of invitation. The new year is upon us. What are we going to do with it? If you're here this morning and you have issues in your life that you don't want to carry into 2020, lay them down here this morning. Lay them down here this morning. If you have things that, that Satan wants to bring against you and say, ah, you still battle this. You, you, you'll never be right. You, you just, you're just not good material. That's not true. Look at the failures of these guys before they turned the world upside down. You want to get rid of those issues, start here. Bring them up here today and leave them lay right here at this altar. Don't pick them up when you leave. Let God take care of that.